Transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. It's really a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats. They've become radicalized. they don't want to see crime stop, which we can very easily do on the southern border. And it really is a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats. Uh, this will go on for a while. Ultimately, the American people will have their way because they want to see no crime. They want to see what we're doing. That was President Trump speaking to reporters at the White House earlier today, footage courtesy of CNN. The president was responding to breaking news that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has refused to extend an invitation for him to deliver the State of the Union address this Tuesday, a responsibility held by the Speaker of the House as decreed by the U.S. Constitution. Shortly after receiving this news, the president told the New York Times he would look for alternative venues for his State of the Union address. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. With the longest government shutdown in history entering its fifth week, shattering the record of 21 days from back in the mid-90s, and even the State of the Union address becoming a highly politicized event, both the president and the newly sworn-in Democratic majority in the House appear to be about where they started from last month in the battle over Trump's request for $5.7 billion for a wall on the southern border. Joining me now live on the phone to help us understand President Trump's strategy and thinking behind the shutdown is one of the nation's premier authorities on both the personal and financial history of the 45th president, the Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist and author of the books The Making of Donald Trump and It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America, David K. Johnston. Hello, David. Welcome back to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Well, Jesse, thank you for having me on, particularly on what is turning out to be a very important day for our Constitution. We'll get to the shutdown in a moment. Uh, But as someone who's been reporting on Donald Trump for several decades, assuming the government does eventually reopen, if you were the new Speaker of the House, say David K. Pelosi, what would your strategy be for checking the power of or even investigating President Trump? Well, uh, with the uh, preface that, you know, there's no requirement that the Speaker be a member of Congress, if you read our Constitution. Um, (laughs) I think that the strategy is pretty clear. Uh, Trump is going to be tied up in a number of investigations that the Republicans didn't do, even though it's their duty uh, to oversee the executive After all, the Constitution says essentially that the President of the United States will do what Congress tells him to do within the confines of federal court rulings. And so you're going to see numerous investigations by various committees, Intelligence, Judiciary, uh, Oversight, the Elijah Cummings Committee, uh, and hopefully ways and means into his taxes, though there seems to be some reticence on that by the Democrats. And we're going to learn the degree of disloyalty by Donald Trump and the people he brought into our government, the degree to which our national security has been compromised by a man who insisted, of course, that that was going to be one of his uh, major uh, issues, 
and the level of corruption in which the Trumps and their friends have been using our government to enrich themselves. So is that where you would start uh, with the finances? I mean, it, I think it can often no, seem... No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't, wouldn't start, start there. The no. The, the first thing I would do is I would go into these issues of how we are less safe today. And, and I know that brings us to something maybe a little ahead of you, but the shutdown. Uh, the FBI has said we cannot conduct and continue many of our counterintelligence investigations because we have to spend money to do this. The air traffic controllers, the biggest airline pilots union, and the association that represents FAA safety inspectors have all said uh, we are not doing what's necessary to have safe commercial aviation. So if we have a jetliner go down because of the shutdown, Donald Trump owns every dead body. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen, but we're at risk. We're not inspecting food safety. People with small businesses are not being able to get their loans. There are people who can't close their mortgages. And on top of that, <clears throat> we have 800,000 federal employees who aren't being paid, even if they get the money back later, and the contractors probably will not. What kind of a modern country does this over something that Donald Trump will never get? He couldn't get his wall when the Republicans controlled the House and Senate, and there is no chance in hell that he will get it now. And uh, to add to what you were saying, actually, the New York police commissioner came out, I believe, yesterday saying that, you know, if the shutdown continues, there's security issues right here in New York with the protections that we have with federal agents. Uh, so that that security issue is something that's touching us right here in New York City. Sure. I mean, it's, it's affecting people all over the country. I live in Rochester. In Monroe County, 720,000 people. 65,000 people, that's about 9% of our population, is going to lose their food stamps if Congress doesn't take care of this uh, and force Trump. And they, have, they are able to do this because the House passed the Republican funding bill. It's the smartest thing Nancy Pelosi, who is a brilliant strategist and tactician, did the day she became Speaker. They passed the Republican funding bill. And it is up to Mitch McConnell now. He is the one whose obligation is to get this passed, open up the government, and the Republicans need to break with Trump if he vetoes and override the veto. Right. To get into the shutdown a bit, uh, there are these two bills up for a vote on Thursday, one with the president's, uh, this is up uh, for a vote in the Senate, one with right. the president's $5.7 billion funding for a border wall. The other is what reporters have been referring to as a clean bill that opens the government or funds the government, should I say, until early next month. Am I missing something, David, or is this basically where both sides were 33 days ago when the government first shut down? Well, we're actually worse off than we were 33 days ago for a lot of reasons. I mean, you, we'll literally tank the economy if this goes on much longer. But the important thing to keep in mind here is, and my column for the news service that my friends and I run, D.C. Report, just went up. Donald Trump is demonstrating to us every day that his, he is totally and completely unqualified for the office that he holds. Even people who are Trump supporters by now should be able to begin to see that this man has no idea what he is doing. You know, Bill Clinton ran for office and won, like Trump, with a minority of votes in 1992, and his signature issue was he was going to get us national health care. Well, he got defeated on that. Congress wouldn't go along with him. <clears throat> so what did Bill Clinton do? He moved on. 
Donald Trump is not able to move on. He says he puts America first. No. First, last, and everything in between is Donald Trump's ego and his belief. And knowing Donald for 31 years, I assure you, Donald sincerely believes he is superior to every one of us. That's why he calls us all fools and idiots and whatnot, unless we agree with him. And in his own mind, he thinks that, of course, he should run the world. And he believes that he rules as president, not that he administers, but he rules. Knowing everything you do about President Trump's background, philosophy, business history, do you see any way out of this stalemate? Are Democrats just playing into his hand in this fight, or is it wise for them to not back down here? Well, the, Dem- <clears throat> the Democrats can certainly blow this, and if there's any party that has a history of blowing, you know, seizing defeat from the jaws of victory, it's the Democrats. But I think if they maintain their posture— the DACA proposal, hey, Donald Trump, you're the one who ended DACA. You're not giving up anything by three years for some DACA recipients. Um, and hold their ground. I think they're better off. And think about this. If they give in to Donald, if the Democrats break as a group, and Nancy Pelosi can't hold her team together, and she is masterful at that kind of work. And, and I say that as somebody who has literally gone nose to nose with Nancy about things that I disagreed with her about. Um, if she can hold her coalition together, one, they will eventually win at this. But if she can't, the next thing Donald will do is say, I'm going to shut down the government unless you do this. There will be funding resolutions that have to come up because we're going to reach the debt ceiling very soon, in good part because of the Trump tax cut for the rich. And uh, you cannot send to Donald the signal that you'll cave because you'll just cave on everything. And there's no reason for the Democrats to do that. They won by 9 million votes in a midterm. As someone that reported on Trump long before his political career began, has there been anything that surprised you about Donald Trump, the president, Uh, maybe even something positive like the criminal justice reform bill, the First Step Act that the president signed into law last month that offers federal judges more leeway when sentencing some drug offenders and additional support for prisoner rehabilitation. Well, Donald is not going. Everything Donald's going to touch, contrary to what Rick Wilson says, is not going to die. <laughs> uh, he's he's going to make some decisions that will improve public policy just by the nature of the job. But fundamentally, he has been an absolute disaster for this country. And I have in the last two years, traveled all over the world. I've lectured on every continent but Antarctica, and I am just floored by the reactions of people I meet, from high people in the government to the chambermaid fixing up my hotel room. And there's just universal condemnation of this man and asking the question, what happened to America? What is wrong with you people? And I think that's the right question. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we haven't moved to remove this unfit man from office? The only thing that I got wrong that I predicted before Trump took office when he won the Electoral College, the only thing I got wrong was I could not imagine that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan would relinquish their constitutional duties and the perquisites in their positions to investigate Trump. They completely folded on him and failed to fulfill their constitutional duties. And, and I, I confess, I couldn't, I didn't imagine it. And looking back on it, it's like, really, how could they fail to do that? I mean, Republicans, Congresses have investigated Republican presidents. Democratic Congresses, Congresses have investigated Democratic presidents. 
this is absolutely astonishing to have seen happen. Back in July, you wrote an article entitled, uh, for the New York Times, rather, entitled, To Make Trump's Tax Returns, uh, How to Make Trump's Tax Returns Public. Uh, you wrote, quote, that Governor Andrew Cuomo, the New York State Police, or the State Department of Taxation and Finance could make a request to the state attorney general for Trump to hand over his tax returns. Can you explain a little bit how that would work? Sure. And that was a piece I originally wrote for D.C. Report, and then we did it for The Times, where I used to be a reporter. Important um, point. The, the attorney general of New York, under our state constitution, only has civil authority. She's the civil lawyer for the state. A prosecutorial, authority, prosecutorial authority rests with county district attorneys. And as I think we all know at this point, uh, Cy Vance, the district attorney of Manhattan, is no Robert Morgenthau. He just will not investigate the Trumps. There's all sorts of high-level corruption, and somehow he has absolutely refused to do his duty. So I pointed out that if any of those people, the governor, the state police, or the uh, Department of Taxation and Finance, which is under the governor, ask for a criminal investigation, the attorney general then acquires that authority. And Barbara Underwood, who was the interim attorney general, had said in a letter to the two federal agencies that she believes there was criminal tax crimes committed by Donald Trump. Uh, now, we uh, at DC Report, we, we uh, run th what we call action boxes. So we ran the telephone number of the governor's office, tied up his phones for days, for six to ten minutes at a time. That's how long you had to wait to get through. And the governor eventually followed through on the fundamental recommendation I'd made, which is all you have to do is say that the uh, state division of taxation should do whatever it thinks is appropriate. And then if this blows up on you, you can always say, I just told him to do what was right. And if it turns out Trump's a criminal and the attorney general's office can prove it, you can say, well, I get the credit. Well, that's what Cuomo finally did. And we stopped having people call his phone number. And what was the result? Well, we don't know yet. We don't know what's happened here. Um, I mean, this will, in fact, take time. Now, Letitia James, the new attorney general, has vowed that she is going to be not only tough on Wall Street, but she's specifically going to look at everything she can about Donald Trump. That uh, Donald Trump is a tax cheat is, I think, beyond dispute. Uh, the tax return that I got of his, uh, I guess it's two years ago almost now, two years come March, um, uh, showed that he had double deducted something. The money he never paid back to the banks, which he should have reported as income, he took his income tax deduction. So instead of paying $360 million approximately in federal income taxes, he saved approximately $360 million in federal income taxes. And that's a crime for which one should be properly indicted, prosecuted, and upon conviction given a long prison term. But he wasn't prosecuted, and the statute of limitations on that has run. I'm speaking with David K. Johnston, author of It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. David, when you were on the show a little over a year ago, you mentioned that you had written or were working on a new tax code for the U.S. Right. that you were hoping to get published. Obviously, the Republican-led Congress passed a sweeping tax reform bill into law at the end of 2017, uh, one I believe has already taken effect. Can you talk about some of the ways that the new bill will change the way Americans file their taxes? 
Well, I first of all wouldn't dignify the Trump tax law, which was enacted without a single public hearing and a single vote by a Democrat, as a reform. Reform implies making things better. This was a giveaway to the richest people in America and to large corporations. And I'll give you my favorite example of how horrible it is. Everybody, if you were paying attention, heard the news that these profits that were siphoned out of the country, which I was the first person to report about and explain how multinational companies like Apple were earning profits in America, converting them into expenses on their tax return and sending them offshore where they were not taxed. They are now taxed on that money. But it turns out, and let me use Apple as an example, Apple was given a 57% discount on the taxes it had avoided paying. 57%. And in Apple's case, that was almost to the penny, $50 billion. Then they were given an interest-free loan from the government, giving them eight years to pay the money back. Now, I don't know about you, Jesse, but if I could get an interest-free loan from the government of, say, all the taxes I actually did pay for the last 30 years... For the next eight years, the interest alone would make me a wealthy man. Sounds pretty good. I calculate that Apple's total benefit under this bill is $120 billion. That is, Congress, the Republicans in Congress and Trump tapped you and me and everybody else in America just for Apple, just for Apple, for $120 billion that we will now have to pick up the burden for. And, you know, GE and uh, all the other multinational companies all got the same deals. And here's the most shocking part of all. You know how Trump kept saying we have to bring jobs back to America? Well, under the Trump tax bill, if the profits you took out of America through accounting devices uh, and put in cash, you, you, know, you bought treasury notes and, and securities, you got a 57% discount. But if you built a factory overseas, you got a 70% discount. So, you know, what was the smart move here under this bill? It said to business, keep building factories overseas. You can expect to get future benefits from Congress, unless, of course, we replace this Congress with one that's much more like uh, the Democrats who were newly elected recently. But, I mean, how astonishing that Trump runs for office and then the signature bill the only legislative accomplishment of any significance he's had on his initiative, because the crime bill wasn't on his initiative, he just acquiesced to it, turns out to give a bigger reward to companies that move jobs offshore than companies that just took their profits out of the country and then bought U.S. Treasury notes. In your book, It's Even Worse Than You Think What the Trump Administration Is Doing to America, you write that, quote, it's not enough just to cover politics and controversies. Often the most important news goes unannounced, lying right out in the open in the government documents most journalists are loath to uncover and read. What are some of the discoveries uh, that you think more journalists should be looking at right now? Well, and, and this is the reason we started DC Report, which we, it's a volunteer project run by former senior editors of the New York Times, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, who are friends of mine. Um, uh, what we do is we look at things like the Federal Register. There's a publication the federal government puts out every day, sometimes it's hundreds of pages long, of the new rules and regulations that they're proposing and new interpretations. A lot of it is routine stuff, but that's where the government keeps a record of its official actions. We need to look at things like the statistical reports on what's going on with the labor market. Uh, you know, uh, for the last, uh, I, I was 
25 years ago documenting inequality. And everybody today knows we have massive inequality. When I started doing it, all sorts of people were attacking my work, saying it was nonsense. Um, and uh, history has proven I was spot on about it. But the data is right there in government reports. And what most journalists do is they accurately report the official version of events and the official criticisms of the official version of events. What they need to do is more enterprise. Act on your own authority. Don't wait for an announcement or a speech. Don't stand in the hallway of Congress trying to catch a quote from some congressperson. Instead, read the bills that you write about, read the laws you write about, read the regulations. They're not easy to do, but it's a skill. You can learn it. And tell people what they need to know, not this cheap tit-for-tat stuff. You know, the New York Times story for tomorrow morning about Donald Trump in complete contempt of our Constitution, declaring that he's going to go to the House and give his speech, where, of course, he has no right to enter the House chamber. Nancy Pelosi controls it just as Donald Trump controls the White House. The coverage in the story that's already up at the New York Times is, calls this a tit-for-tat squabble. This is not a tit-for-tat squabble. This is a clear contempt for the Constitution by a want-to-be dictator. And so I think reporters, here's the most important thing reporters need to do. Cover what politicians do, not what they say. And pay very close attention when what they do has nothing to do with what they say. Although President Trump's uh, approval rating did reach the lowest of his presidency this week with an Associated Press uh, Nork Center for Public Affairs research poll finding that only 34% of Americans approve of Trump's job performance down from 42% a month ago. But it does appear that one-third of the country, roughly, is willing to support this president, as he said on the campaign trail, even if he was to, quote, stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. Does it concern you that the Mueller report or any other results of investigations ongoing or ones we haven't even heard about yet could find damning evidence against President Trump and that it wouldn't really move the needle among his supporters? Well, remember that on the day Richard Nixon resigned, and I sat with Jerry Ford's high school civics teacher that night and the next day, um, uh, Richard Nixon had enjoyed the, the support of 29% of Americans. Every single member of Congress in both parties had turned on him, and yet 29% of Americans supported him. You know, there's an old saying that one-fifth of Americans, left, right, whatever it is, you can find one-fifth of Americans who will support any, any crazy thing in the world. And Donald Trump, no matter what happens, is going to and continue to enjoy the support of certain groups of people. The fake Christians who uh, don't teach the, don't believe the message of the New Testament. They believe God wants you to be rich and to heck with anybody who uh, isn't. Uh, they totally miss the message of the New Testament. Uh, secondly, he's going to be with the racists, and we need to accept that. What is it? 160 years since the Civil War. We still haven't resolved this. We live in a country where we judge people all the time, not by the content of their character, but by the color of their skin, or in the case of Donald Trump, the presumed contents of their wallets. Um, uh, and, and then you have the group of people with real legitimate grievances. The bottom 90% of Americans whose income in 2012 was less than in 1967. They only got 51 and a half weeks income in, in uh, 
2012 compared to 1967, they're now getting about 53 weeks of income, so they're ahead a tiny, tiny bit. But their health care isn't nearly as good and costs a lot more. Their pensions are gone. So overall, and they're much more deeply in debt for housing. So overall, they are worse off. These people have legitimate grievances. And, and the answer to that is something that Donald Trump is completely against. And that is you cannot have productivity gains go to workers unless they're organized and have unions. Or as Pope Francis teaches, and I'm not Catholic, as Pope Francis teaches, there is no justice without unions. And we're going to continue to see worsening inequality in this country. It'll go up and down a little bit, but the general trend, uh, unless we get a Congress that works for the people, not for the political donor class. Finally, in the last 30 seconds we've got here, you're someone who's been critical of cable news outlets like CNN and MSNBC, but you've also appeared on both networks a decent amount. Has your opinion of either one changed after seeing it from the inside? Well, I'm just a guest. I'm going to be on Chris Hayes in about about an hour. Tune in, everyone. um, Yeah, and and, and if you're not listening to WBAI. um, Fundamentally, Jesse... Cable news is uh, talk about the heavy lifting done by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the AP, McClatchy, Bloomberg, the Wall Street Journal. They don't really do much original reporting, with, with the exception of stuff right at the White House. And it's, it is what it is. But yes, of course I'm critical of it. I mean, I, I've been, I'm, I write criticism when I was at the New York Times. I was publicly critical of the newspaper at times. I'm the only journalist in American history who caused a whole broadcast chain to have to go out of business because it was manipulating its news reports. And we need to insist that we have a better quality press that's more focused on things. One of the problems with the press in this country is we cover business from the point of view of the business owners, which is a very small group of people, not the business customers. You know, how many people own a bank? How many people have a bank account? Why is it we look at things through the eyes of the bank owners? Why do we cover the stock market and not what's happening to wages and labor conditions and strikes? And if we did this from the point of view of the larger audience, the serious news media would have bigger, bigger readership and bigger viewership. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with David K. Johnston, a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter and author of It's Even Worse Than You Think What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's it for this week's show. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 102 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter and and join us again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. Mounting up the toil and strife But I'm a fool